0: 23rd of January, 2018. I'm here with David. This is our first session. We're just going to talk about your background, where you're from, any issues you've been dealing with.
1: So, where should we start? Look, stop all the pain. I was praying but nowadays I don't even want to be saved Nah, fuck that, I don't want to be saved I was born to be wild, I don't want to be tame Talents in my blood and I don't want to be vain But if I'm a psycho then I don't want to be sane I used to dream of the shit when I was hopping on train So, so bad I used to want all the fame My ex-girl wanna shoot a cover for Vogue Which is pretty ironic cause she's top of the range If any one of you take a shot on the track My niggas come back and put a shot in your frame Use the alphabet, three G's in the ring, call me Alvarez My teacher used to say I need counselling, couldn't stop asking me what do you feel There's so many old scars that they wanna reveal, we got off on the wrong foot Cause I don't want them to heal, nah, but if you're looking for a psycho you got one I thought I had a screw loose but I lost one, 99 problems, money is not one. My currency's Kenyan, it's in it for the long run <laughs> Tears on a pillow Bro, I shed so many tears on a pillow I used to tell my teachers that nobody gets it I don't know Clark, but I know that I'm a kiddo Cause my mummy ain't been home Miss thinks I'm involved Blame my environment, it made me a sicko Further I should bring that bitch down to Streatham and they make us spend the day in the fell like a widow, kiddo, we seen swords longer than a limo My bros are blacksmiths like Jaden and Willow, man there's weapons over here We're reppin' over here, I'm from the south side but Streatham over here No telling if you're selling all the wetting over here Get him over here, who the is checking over here Most my niggas are the ones applying pressure over here Fuck a her, soul, I can get a nigga peppered over here, what? We wanted more than some food than a strip or moving a brick My niggas went to school with the rich and we were broke Hide and crow in a Rubicon drink Which is funny cause that's how we put food in the fridge and we were mine Someone tryna live his best life I just wanna take a pretty woman for a test drive If I bring her to my room and I press I, I Guarantee she gonna see the force like an ex-wife People tell me I'm a little bit balmy. For my army I need a bottle of Bacardi If it's me and a pouch of my doggie you see seeing two stars in the party what you heard i'm a pop boy and i ain't giving man a turn i don't wanna know when pretty women wanna flirt learn you can judge a nigga by the women that he curves i love this game i ain't lost focus i'm a hit maker if you haven't noticed i could be the rapper with a message like you're hoping but what's the point of me being the best if no one knows it brother i'm a careful humble reckless arrogant extravagant nigga. probably battling with manic depression Man I think I'm going mad again It's like I'm happy for a second then I'm sad again And to my fans, the reason I could get to this You're my drug, the instrumental, my therapist Man I need some therapy My girl saying that she'll never leave I'm scared she's gonna find a better me Deep insecurities Like what if I don't leave a legacy Money why they check for me Mummy lost respect for me I wish that we could be together But that ain't how life works I used to cry about my dad until my fucking eyes burn Nose running You don't know nothing before I put a penny on the table, I provided for my family Held my mother's hand through the agony Hey, you ever fall asleep cause you don't wanna be awake In a way you're tired of the reality you face if you're thinking about doing it Suicide doesn't stop the pain, you're only moving it Life that you ruin it Thoughts of a world without you in it Hiding I ain't psycho but my life is
2: Welcome to the Nirvana Principles Show. I'm your host, Dr. Hassan Malik. I'm a psychiatry trainee working in the Northwest. And I have the pleasure to welcome in the studio today, Dr. Gwen Adsad, forensic psychiatrist and therapist. She has an illustrious career in Broadmoor Hospital, which is well known here in England for treating violent offenders. And uh, she has also written a book recently called The Devil You Know and we have had the pleasure of reading it and it's based on her experiences in the therapy room with a multitude of patients from different backgrounds. She's been kind enough to share her time here. Welcome, Gwen.
3: Oh, thank you very much, Hassan, for asking me to come and talk with you today.
2: So can you um, uh, tell me a little bit about the, the nature of your work? I, I know that uh, for me as a trainee, perhaps forensic psychiatry makes sense. But just for the listening audience, what what, what is your role?
3: Of course. Um, so... Forensic psychiatry is the kind of work that the kind of mental health work that we do with people who've committed offenses when they're mentally ill. Mm -hmm. Um, And although most people with mental illness don't commit any acts of violence at all, just occasionally we meet people who, because of their mental illness, have acted in very odd and violent ways. So uh, the role of a forensic psychiatrist is sometimes to go to court and explain to the court how that happens. And then the other thing that we do is to try and help people recover their mental health and become less risky. And we do that generally in secure hospitals. But I, I also work in prisons, like many forensic psychiatrists. So we go in and we work with prisoners, many prisoners who are describing a life a bit like Dave was describing in the rap, you mm-hmm. know, um, a, a life of enormous pain and trauma, which has led them to a place where they've committed acts of violence and actually helping them to recover um, also means kind of paying attention to their mental health. So that's what forensic psychiatrists do. And so I spent most of my working life working, uh, talking to people who've done horrible things um, and are trying to make a life for themselves afterwards.
2: Mm-hmm. Just the, the terminology that you use, you, you said that, can, can you explain a little bit about the difference between violence and uh, I think just to, just to put a word on it, evil? Um, my understanding is that generally violence is an act which is committed, which can be committed by anyone while evil seems to pertain more to the nature of an individual?
3: Well, that's a, it's a really interesting philosophical question, which goes back thousands and thousands of years. And I think it's absolutely the case that, um, that violence involves action, a, a, a kind of embodied action. And we call acts of violence, so you might have feelings of anger towards somebody, but that wouldn't necessarily make you violent just um on, by on its own so we know that there are lots of risk factors for violence and we also know that most people are not violent and that in fact violence is a quite unusual way to break the criminal law if you're going to break the criminal law you're much more likely to nick somebody else's stuff than you are to be violent to somebody else mm-hmm. but when it comes to evil then i guess what traditionally i think what philosophers have said, and not just philosophers, many kinds of faith traditions have also suggested that probably all of us have the capacity for great goodness and great wickedness, Um, and that capacity is there in all of us. But the good news is that probably most of us will never uh, really do acts of significant uh, evil. Um, we hope, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, um, but that potential is there. And I think if we look at the lives of people who've been involved in really evil, cruel acts, we often find that there was a story coming up to it, that there mm-hmm. perhaps were signs early on that they, were, they might have been more at risk than other people.
2: I know the example that you that you often give is a is is a key and a lock that there are certain combinations which need there are certain risk factors which need to be kind of ticked off before someone becomes a criminal. Is that the is that the correct?
3: Well not so much well actually it's true possibly for for just being criminal because don't forget if you if you're going to be a criminal that just means you've broken the criminal law mm-hmm. and there are lots of ways that you can break the criminal law you can break the criminal law by by speeding yeah. <laughs> fast enough you know yeah. so so there are lots of different ways to break the criminal law mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and actually violence is one of the least common but it is, I think it is true to say that because violence is quite unusual, you need a number of risk factors to be lined up. And you're right. Um, in this book that I wrote with Eileen, we, we we developed a kind of idea that was actually developed by another idea, a colleague of mine who worked with me at Broadmoor. Um, and he had the idea that you, we might want to think about a bicycle lock. So in order to open your lock, you've got to have a number, a, a, a num- numbers in place, got mm-hmm. the right numbers lined up. Um, and I think a lot of serious violence is like that. And there are some risk factors that are pretty general and you can't do very much about. So, for example, most violence perpetrators are young, tend to be under 30. Most violence perpetrators are male. Very interesting. That's the same all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say that all men are violent by any yeah. means but maleness or mas- some kinds of masculinity seem to be a kind of risk factor for violence. And then there are things like substance misuse. Substance misuse is a very potent risk factor for violence. Um, severe mental illness, I mean, really severe paranoid symptoms, paranoid delusions, those kind of things, particularly combined with substance misuse, that uh, can increase your risk. But often the number, the last number in the lock can be something that is really about what happens between you and the victim. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: And sometimes this can be something that the victim does or says, which doesn't mean it's their fault, of course, in any way. But sometimes the victim can do or say something that triggers a very painful or frightening or, or disturbing memory for the perpetrator. And that last number clicks into place and then the violence can erupt. And sometimes afterwards, you know, people will say, I, I, I don't know what came over me. I just lost it is mm-hmm. something that people often say. Now, that's not all violence. We do see there are different kinds of violence. We do see some kinds of violence that are much more calm and controlled. Mm-hmm. But that tends to be violence that's instrumental for that's is to get a to get a job done of some sort, whether it's a financial job done, or kind of organized gang violence kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I I think the term one of my supervisors like to use is acquisitive violence, where you it's it's a means to an end. For example, if you you know if you let's say you need food, or you you break in into yeah. a house to to get something to eat. Um, some some of it is also I think socio cultural factors as well. You you were talking about being being male. So for example, from from my background, from my cultural background, com, coming here to, to the UK, I, I noticed that a lot of the a lot of people from the South Asian diaspora are involved in the drug trade and a lot of them are young men as well. And I think um Part of my culture is also that the man is the provider; that you have to provide for the family, and you know you're the breadwinner and the caretaker. So it's an easy propensity where the shame of not being able to provide is worse than the shame of, um, of you know, of, of dealing drugs or being a violent individual.
3: Very much so, and and there's a there's a long there's a a big literature in criminology about the role of uh, of certainly social status and poverty, um, in terms of determining things like masculine gender identities. And as you say, that idea of being of provision for your family um, outweighing the, the risks. And of course, you know, that kind of um, you know, organised drug crime often involves, as you say, in- involves just stealing. You know, um, And lot of people get involved in the criminal justice system was for stealing things or possession of a drug, which, of course, is an offence. But sometimes people will use, use violence to ensure a drug deal goes down. And actually, what's interesting about this, is if you look at homicide rates around the world, there are, there are very different rates of homicide around the world um, and they tend to be highest in countries whose entire sort of financial structure is based on the drugs trade, mm. so Honduras and Belize have one of the highest homicide rates in the world because their fiscal uh, economy is based on cocaine trade. Um, But uh, South Africa also has one of the highest homicide rates in the world. Um, And some people have argued that that's because of the structural violence that goes with apartheid um, Mm. and the poverty that, that went with that, that for decades... Um, not only were people separated by people were separated by money, mm-hmm. but they were also treated very badly because of the color of their skin i mm-hmm. mean and not just treated badly but but you know punitively treated so so where you get those kinds of socio cultural factors, I think that 's important, and many cultures do also have an idea of a legitimate victim. Um, so there are yeah. many cultures who see vulnerable people as some, somehow kind of legitimate. And some people have argued that this is why women are so often victimized, um, because they're seen, particularly in some kinds of patriarchal culture, as a kind of possession.
2: Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, again, uh, speaking of back back home in Pakistan, honor killings is a thing. And uh, recently, there's a strong feminist movement against that. Whether the, for example, the father he 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 kills his his uh, daughter for not agreeing to marry where he wanted to, or he finds out she had a quote unquote illicit relationship, and it is seen as acceptable that okay, that you know the pride of the family is at stake and honor is at stake. So then, that individual you know, their life is expendable to that extent.
3: Yes, I I think, and and I think what's interesting about that is that it it is supported by a kind of cultural kind of matrix, which, uh, which says that there are people who are lesser and who can be owned and possessed, and their individual views don't really matter. They're not really people. In the same way, so in this particular scenario you're describing, the father doesn't see his daughter as being a person like he is. You know, she's 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 a kind of person, but she's not a full person. She's not a real person, not like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's it's the kind of mindset that also supports slavery
0: mm. and
3: enslavement. And this is the kind of mindset that over millennia have has allowed groups of human beings to treat other human beings as not really human. Um, that doesn't always mean they treat them badly, but mm-hmm. but it means that the people who are enslaved or dominated are not seen as, as being real people. And I think what's interesting about this, from the point of view of thinking about violence, is that this is a theme that we do sometimes see in violence perpetrators, a bit of a theme that the person, who, the person that they attacked was not a real person or it didn't matter, or um, well, certainly not a person like them or they were justified in, in hurting this person for whatever reason. So, but that sense of domination and possession is a bit of a thread, I think.
2: Coming back to our field, which is specifically treating the mentally ill, uh, I'm not sure if that narrative is still valid, but definitely there is a stereotype where someone who has psychosis or schizophrenia, they are generally dangerous they'll harm you and not even that far I I feel that sometimes when I see medical students coming in for rotation as well you you can see that slight caution or that slight terror there that okay I'm going into a psychiatric ward will I be safe yeah should people be be afraid or cautious around mentally ill individuals
3: Um, no not in terms of violence I think that people are, are often Um, I think the stereotype grows up because it is true that sometimes when people are very acutely mentally unwell, then they can do and say things that are surprising, that catch you on the hop, and they are often not tuned into social to social r- rules and expectations, so they can talk very loudly, or they can sometimes shout, or they can sometimes do things that are very unexpected and uh, and which are are surprising to people and throw people off balance. And I think that that's what has led to the kind of stereotype. And it's a very ancient one. Again, it goes back. Uh, You can find accounts of this in Roman times, of concerns that uh, a mentally ill family member might be dangerous. Um, But the, the risk is tiny if you think about the numbers of people who suffer with their mental health, the actual numbers of people who will ever be violent to anyone are absolutely tiny. Your chance, your chance of being assaulted by someone who's mentally unwell is kind of lottery winning odds. Um, but, um, but the trouble is that when it does happen, it tends to be very noticeable because it's so rare and unusual. Um, and it's, it's, it's also, I mean, the other thing to also remind ourselves is that the people who are mentally unwell are most dangerous to themselves. That actually the thing we worry about in mental health services, we worry a lot about people who are suicidal. Mm. Um, so we're, you know, we tend not to, you know, we we just don't have evidence that anybody who's got a mental illness is at increased risk of being violent. But on the odd occasions that it happens, it's tragic and disturbing, um, and and it makes good he- it makes big headlines. So that's you can understand why mm-hmm. people get that story.
2: Uh, I mean, the at least the reality that they teach us in our syllabus, and you know, as part of a trainee, is is that mentally ill individuals are more likely to be victims of violence rather than vice versa.
3: Yes, that's yes, that's true because they're vulnerable. Um, I mean, anybody who's vulnerable is is at increased risk of being a victim of violence. Mm. Um, Although, and and intriguingly, um, on on that note, um, the people who are still the most likely people to be victims of violence are young men. Often, young men who um, who may be vulnerable in all sorts of ways in terms of substance misuse um, and uh, poverty, poor mental health, all those kinds of things. So, so it's no. I think it's absolutely the case that mm-hmm. people with mental illness are more likely uh, to be to be victims.
2: Okay, um, we're we're just about due to go to our next song before we oh. go before we go there. Um, since you have been kind enough to, uh, share time today, I think you have some say over the playlist, uh, you recommended <laughs> a couple of songs. So I think one of them was from a movie. Uh, do you want to, yes. do you want to go with yes. that one?
3: Okay, am, I, am I allowed to say what it is? Well, yes. well, uh, well yes. um, I'm, um, I get to, uh, I, because I've grown up with young men in my household, I get to watch pretty much any every superhero movie that's ever been let out, but I also get to watch quite a lot of um, smart, smart, violent movies, of which the John Wick movies are one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm a fan of the first John Wick movie, and it has a wonderful soundtrack by Marilyn Manson, um, which I think you're going to play a bit of.
2: haven't heard Melon Manson in a, in a while uh, it's always a, a treat <laughs> yes
3: treat is perhaps not the best word is it but it's it, the thing I think is very striking about the lyrics of that song is yeah. that it really is uh, I think conveys something of the menace but also the chaos
0: mm. of
3: the kind of mind that has got kind of killing is there and violence is there and cruelty is there, but Mm. there's a kind of chaos about it. And and that's very, there's a kind of poignancy, I think, about, we're killing strangers so we don't kill the ones that we love because mm. that's certainly a dynamic that we see in, in, the wor- in the world I work in is we do see people who've displaced a lot of unresolved anger and distress from the past mm. perhaps onto, onto unfortunate people that they've, that they've met. Mm. Um, so really uh, uh, psychologically kind of accurate I think.
2: Yeah, I think I should correct myself. It's a treat when Marilyn Manson does it well. I wouldn't listen to him all the time. <laughs> yeah. I would listen to him all the time, but when he gets it right, he gets it right.
3: When he, when he, when he gets it right, and it's. And I also like "Blow us a kiss and we'll blow you to pieces." That's <laughs> that's that is a great lyric. That uh, is a great lyric.
2: Uh, very cool. So, since since we are on movies, I know that with your field of work, I'm sure you see the portrayal of a lot of. What should I say? Psychopaths, sociopaths, serial killers, criminals in in modern media. Everyone from Hannibal Lecter. My personal favorite is um, American Psycho. Um, what What is yours? What do you think is is accurate or something? You <laughs> uh, find well, enjoyable? there
3: are, as you say, there are very many, and it is very. It's very interesting because they've gotten more so. Haven't they? I think, uh, and particularly in stylishly violent movies. I'm thinking. I mean, obviously, as you say, Christian Bale in American Psycho, um, Huey Lewis and the in The Luton and the news, but, um, but and also Tarantino, of course, um, mm. and stuck in the middle with you. Um, I mean, that again, where you're putting the violence in a kind of stylish way. Um, and making violence perpetrators interesting, which I think is, it was a big, was a big move. I kind of, it was a big important move in cinematography to make violence perpetrators actually interesting as well as scary. Um but I and, and on that note I guess one of my one of one of my favorites, if favorites is the right word, is I, I think Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men um, is a kind of absolutely cinematic stereotype of, of psychopathy, where he goes around killing people. He's quite urbane and charming, and he has a horrible haircut. <laughs> and that's how and that's how you know he's a psychopath. Um and uh, and and the, the, the difficulty about this while this is all great cinematography it's great uh, it's great entertainment mm-hmm. um, I think you know the reality is that people who do horrible things repetitively horrible cruel things repetitively are, are not like this are not charming are not effective mm. are not. Are not able to do these things. Um, I mean, to be fair, it, it must be said that we don't, in the world I work in, we don't see many contract killers, for example. But you might argue the contract killer is just a businessman and, mm. or, or businesswoman, come mm. to that. Um, but they're, you know, they're just carrying out a job, you know, a killing job for money, as as mercenaries have done for time immemorial. Um, or even soldiers in in some senses. But I think this idea about, you know, sort of very clever, intelligent, smooth, charming people who can con you... um, I think such people are, are, exist more on the screen mm. than they do in real life, um, yeah. and even and, and not. I mean, we have good quality research data that says that not all people who are violent are psychopaths. Um, in fact, Professor Robert Hare, who's probably the sort of international expert on psychopathy,
2: hello, meow.
3: He meow meow meow. Yes, that's not me. I'm not. It's um. I, I have a cat. I have a cat. He has a, <laughs> He um he thinks it's his food time. He's 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 wrong. He's wrong about that. But um but no, that isn't me making that noise. Um
0: <laughs>
3: Um Um Go away, cat. Um so, But the the thing oh dang, shall I put him out? Like, can I shall I just put him out the As door? you
2: as you like? What's his name?
3: I think his name is Moose.
2: Moose. No, nothing
3: very interesting.
2: Ah, I thought it'd be like uh, Ted Bundy or something, you know. Like... No, 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 Ted
0: <laughs>
3: Bundy <laughs> Satan. No. Um no. <laughs> No, I did have a pa- I did have a patient who had a cat called Stalin, which what? I thought was rather was was rather good. Let me just put him out. Yeah. For- but I but I was saying that that Bob Hare, who's say probably our you know someone who's probably best known for the study of psychopathy in the last thirty years, forty years really. Uh, uh, um, his early work was on people who'd been violent, and in his studies, he only found about thirty percent of his violence perpetrators would score enough on a measure on a measure that he of, of psychopathy that he devised um, and and I think that's really important to think about um, it's also possible to be a psychopath probably and not be violent although there's much more debate about whether you could be a, a, a psychopath and not be criminal Can you, some um, people uh, some people think it's possible some people don't.
2: Can you just uh, just clarify? I think it's a it's a good opportunity because the even like doing research for the show, I sometimes saw different terms used interchangeably. So is there yes. a psychopath, sociopath? Uh, for yeah. us, I guess, and uh, a more medical term is antisocial personality disorder. Um, w- what is the correct lingo? And w- w- when we, when you're talking about psychopaths, uh, I understand. I assume your your your. Um, you're referring to mr here he has a checklist which he calls yes, a, a, a specific traits can you talk about yeah. those traits yes
3: yeah, certainly so i think again in a way we want to just rewind ourselves back to the idea that um we're not just thinking about people who are criminal and break the criminal law and we're not just thinking about people who break the who are violent maybe once off we're talking about people who seem to be persistently violent and cruel and who seem not to care at all about other people and so what um, although the although I have to say that the original studies of psychopathy which were done in the in the late 30s early 40s the original studies of psychopathy actually were just focusing in on that lack of social connection with other people, that lack of empathy, that lack of concern or care about others. But hardly any of those people were ever violent um, to anyone. They were a nuisance, and they caused a lot of psychological pain to other people, but they weren't violent or cruel, particularly not uh, and 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 it's really only in it's only really more recently that we've become more interested in the people who have those kinds of attitudes and who break the criminal law in a violent way so the the proper terminology as as i would see it is that you have you have criminal rule breakers and people who commit acts of violence which as you say could be instrumental for good reasons or it could be just purely hostile and then you have people who are antisocial all the time they just break the rules all the time they're not always violent but if they if they they only have to see a rule to break it so they they break driving laws they break drug laws they steal they break things they may be mildly assaultative. they're chronically chronically antisocial they don't fit in anywhere and they often get involved in the drugs trade and, and they go in and out of prison all the time Is that- and then there's this and then there's the psychopaths and the psychopaths are a kind of very severe form of antisocial personality disorder and and psychopaths are not common um, e- uh, even in the general population. And, and even in a forensic population, they're not common. In, our, in, in the hospital where I work, um, we have very few people who meet the criteria for psychopathy. Psych- psychopathy is quite unusual. So the idea that there are lots of very smart, very effective psychopaths running around out there, um, you know, running governments and invading small countries, um, in, you know, I don't, I don't think really okay. stands up. Um, but it's a very powerful trope um in drama and stories mm. um and it just shows i think how much we as human beings are interested
0: mm.
3: in evil and we're interested in we're interested in what happens if somebody turned all their creativity and potential into something cruel and unusual
2: it's- Uh, Is there a specific reason for that uh, enchantment or that attraction? Is it just simply because it's something different or it's kind of what our inner secret desire to flaunt all the rules that is like kind of depicted in the person?
3: I think it is because as human beings, we are deeply interested in good and evil. Mm. I think we are very interested in that intuition that there is something called good and there is something called evil. And in fact, the only way that we know that something is evil is because we believe in the existence of the good and the just and the the undistorted. And I think that intuition about goodness um, is something that has puzzled philosophers, moral philosophers for hundreds of years and is still a very live question about where do we get our notions of goodness from but they exist you know human Mm. beings um, even from a young age are quite tuned into ideas about fairness and goodness and kindness Um, and that necessarily then raises questions about people who don't do that given that most people even in very stressful circumstances don't even lose their temper i don't know I don't know how it is in the <laughs> town where you live, but yeah. I've spent quite a bit of my time living in London and mm. I've travelled on, on a very dangerous and difficult place called the Northern Line. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in the Northern <laughs> Line, we have lots of uh, lots of citizens all jammed up together, um, having a very stressful time at the beginning and ends of day. And, you know, do fights break out? No, they don't.
0: Mm.
3: People treat each other with extraordinary respect. Mm. And even when a bomb blows up, In the in the tube station, people spend a lot of time trying to help one another, Um, and 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 I think that's that that's why human beings are so interested because we clearly have a great capacity for goodness, and cooperation, and making things better for each other. But we also have uh, a, a capacity to to cause. Great damage and cruelty to one another, as indeed happened on the July the fifth bombings in in London mm. uh, and that was you know and those kinds of things are very sad I mean, what's and what's happened in San Antonio uh, in the school shooting uh, yesterday just desperately desperately sad mm. and leaves us all wondering why 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 would a young man do this thing what would what on earth make somebody do that so I think these questions are something that every single human being in the world is interested in. And that's one of the great delights of my work for me Mm -hmm. is that uh, although there are some technical things that are a bit boring, most of the time I'm dealing with issues that all human beings are interested in um, and that most people have a view on. Um, And and, and so you can have really, you can have interesting discussions with people about how we think about these things.
2: I mean, it's 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 bordering a bit. Uh, again, I think you mentioned in your book as well, kind of like B- Buddhist philosophy about Yin and Yang, where there's a. Is it Buddhist philosophy? But but basically, that we have, each of us has kind of a drop of evil and a drop of goodness in us, and. Like well, said, this
3: is an idea. This is an idea that came out of medieval philosophy,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, and 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 before that, the Greek philosophers, the Greek humanistic tradition. Um, and so and that's what I mean about these ideas going back, you know, thousands of years. Um, it's there in Buddhist philosophy to you know 2000 years before the Christian era. Um, so I think this, I think what this should reassure us that if we're confused about this or we're asking questions or we're, we, we're puzzled by it, then there's a reason for that. It's because it is puzzling. It is, mm-hmm. it, it is puzzling. Every, everywhere we see people's great capacity for cruelty, but we also see people's great capacity for goodness. And, and I think we have to believe in both of those things and take them equally seriously. Uh, that's, that's what I've come to to recognize from my work.
2: Uh, again, we're nearing the time for our next song. Just a quick question before that. Is, is morality a human trait?
3: Oh, well... Franz Duval, who's a primatologist uh, trained in Holland, but I think he now lives in America, um, he would say not. He would say that it comes, that morality, the moral sense, is actually uh, you can detect In other group animals like us, that we are group animals. We share 98% of our genetic material with group animals like chimpanzees and bonobos and gorillas. Um, And if you observe them, you can observe something that looks awfully like uh, rule-keeping and rule-breaking behaviour and cooperation and uh, hostile attitudes towards other animals who break the rules. And there's a fascinating and very well-known experiment in which monkeys who are given cucumber, which they don't like, um, and monkeys who are given grapes, which they do like, that so the monkeys who get cucumber get very angry <laughs>
0: about
3: <laughs> like, not why? being given cucumber why? about being given cucumber <laughs> when they want grapes. So um, the sense of fairness... The sense of Hmm. fairness is something that has been uh, a rudimentary sense of fairness has been identified in not just in monkeys, but also in rats. So I I think that our capacity to do the right thing and to think that there is a right thing to do is something that evolves. That is, uh, I think, part of our, our animal makeup. But it's not the whole story, I think. But we see the building blocks of that kind of thinking of goodness and badness. I think we see that uh, in other animals, apart from us.
2: Speaking of experiments, our next song is about an actual experiment. It's uh, It was conducted by Mr. Stanley Milgram, who's a, who was a Yale professor in 1961. Uh, so this Yale professor, he asked subjects to administer electric shocks to a person if they answered a question wrong. At least that's what they thought. The person being shocked was actually an actor who kind of rided in pain as the shocks got larger. So Mr. Milgram wanted to see if the subjects would continue administering the shocks. They're, these are just like general general members of the public, even though it was causing apparent pain to, to the actor. Almost all the subjects administered the highest level of shock despite the actor pounding the wall in apparent agony. And the number that came out at the end was 37. So that's that's the number of subjects. 37 out of 40 were willing to go there. And Mr. Peter Gabriel, I a song about that, which is called We Do What We're Told. with Dr. Gwen Adset, who's a forensic psychiatrist and psychotherapist. Um, Gwen, I'm interested in, in your role as a therapist. I think it's a good opportunity to maybe talk a little bit about the role that psychotherapy plays in treating mental illness and specifically the role it has in rehabilitation of your population that you treat that is mentally ill offenders. My understanding was, or my understanding is that There's a shift, there's a paradigm shift between, okay, those who offend or those who are criminals should be punished for what they've done. And now the onus is more on, okay, they need to be rehabilitated back into society and they'd serve a better function by becoming functioning or contributing members of society as well.
3: Yes, I think that's absolutely right. I think there are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, One is that only a minority of people who go to prison are actually there for violent offences, are actually there because they're dangerous to other people. So everybody else um, is usually only there because they keep offending, they've got substance use problems, they've got poverty problems, they've got accommodation problems, they're a bit all over the place, and they often lack education and occupation too. So we really need to be helping people with their mental health and particularly substance misuse problems, and that would help, would do a lot more than punishment does. In fact, we have some really good quality evidence that punishment doesn't make people change their behaviour at all. In fact, it possibly makes it worse, and it doesn't deter people either. <laughs> So it's a re- so punishment is a really bad idea. It's much better to try and get alongside and understand what happened um, in order to try and um, make sure it doesn't happen again. Because obviously, those of us who work with the rehabilitation of offenders, we want, we want them to, to give up, to desist from that kind of behavior. So, but if we're going to get people to give up being violent, we need to understand why they were violent in the first place. Um, And that's what a lot of therapists and psychologists who are involved in forensic services, what we do is really spend a lot of time trying to understand what the function of the violence was for this person, how it links up with childhood trauma, how it links up with substance misuse, how it links up with mental illness. And then what we do is to try and help people recover better mental health, which we then try and channel into being more pro-social in the future. So we have a dual aim of improving mental health and reducing risk. And that's something that I think is definitely worth investing in because nobody wants um, people in prison or in secure hospitals to offend again. Nobody wants that, including the men themselves. They don't want to offend again either. So uh, we all have an interest in trying to help these guys become less risky. And the therapies that I'm part of are, are really just one part of that. Only one little part. Helping offenders get rehabilitated is a, it need, it's a multidisciplinary job. It needs a lot of people. And the work that I do is just one little bit of a much bigger group activity. But I guess the work that I do is really about trying to help this person understand how they came to let themselves do this thing, whatever it is, and what it will cost them to give it up. Mm. And, and that's really the kind of, the sort of, the x and the y axes of what I do and then within that the conversations with people can go anywhere and we talk about all sorts of
2: things. So it sounds uh, a little bit similar to for example PTSD therapy or maybe sexual abuse survivors where there's a specific inciting incident or trauma or which, which needs to be explored and understood because that has huge repercussions in, in that individual's lives moving on.
3: Well, uh, and it's interesting you you say that because I think that there are some associations between those things and you may or may not know or some of your listeners may be surprised to hear that some of our people who've done terrible things, particularly when they were mentally unwell, may actually develop PTSD as a result of the offences they committed. They may have traumatic memories and nightmares about what they've done when they get better, when they, as it were, come round. Um, they may be very distressed by what they've done and have PTSD in relation to to their offence. But I think the really interesting thing that's happened in the last 10 years or so, I think has been a better understanding of of how we deal with trauma, which is that we no longer think that you have to go back and explore in enormous detail what happened. Um, It's enough to ask people, what the thing is that they most worry about, What it, what's the thing that they're most concerned about now, um, what's the thing that stayed with them. And it's, it's really important to try and understand how this person is understanding themselves now and what it's done to their identity. In many ways, I think it's important to think of violence, whether as a victim or a perpetrator, as a kind of uh, event that changes you and you can never go back to the person that you were before but the question is who will you be now and who do you want to be what kind what kind of person do you want to be going forward and that becomes the kind of therapeutic challenge. So, in fact, we don't find much evidence that it's helpful to make people go over it all in enormous detail, go back and
0: mm. tell
3: every single ghastly detail. In, in fact, we actually think that makes people worse. Mm. What's, what, what's more effective is to say, well, the thing that really bothers me most, most about this is X <laughs> and talk about that. What is it that's still alive for you now?
2: as a as a trainee trainee psychotherapist as well when as part of my training i also have to give therapy so i was kind of very aware that okay am i influencing this person and telling them what to think am i changing their mind and i'm sure on the other side of the spectrum there's also that fear that okay if i go to a therapist and i talk about my problems they'll tell me what to think like and i'm just trying to link that with the work you do so in a way you are you You are telling them that what they've done needs to change, that the way they think needs to change. Can you uh, can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Uh, Yes, I can, because it's an issue that I'm really, really interested in. Um, and I was interested in from the start when I started training in psychiatry because it didn't take long before I realized that I I, I wanted to be a therapist. I, I wanted to be the kind of psychiatrist that talks to people for a living. Um, but I w- was always rather preoccupied with this question of brainwashing people to what mm. extent. Do people come for therapy because they're not thinking in a kind of culturally acceptable way? Are they, you know, is there, are there important, maybe people are thinking out of the box for good reasons, you know, that kind of thing. And, and those questions have always been asked, I think, about mental health and rightly so. But I think what I've learned is that the best psychotherapists are the people who maintain a kind of neutrality about What people are thinking and feeling, um, and don't have an agenda in what this person wants, or rather, what you want, you do want something, you do have an agenda, but you want this person to understand themselves enough to know what change they want to make. And they might decide a good therapist, a good therapy might come to the end with somebody saying, you know what, I don't have to change, I'm fine as I am. I actually just need to change my job or I actually need to change my partner or I actually need to perhaps move away from my parents a bit further away or mm-hmm. whatever it happens to be, mm-hmm. you know, but, that, but I think that most therapists, and in fact, again, there's some research evidence to support this. The best therapy helps people make their own decisions about how they want to change and what they think is good for them. And a, a, and a good therapist will not, uh, will, will not tell you what to do. And a good therapist will only very, very, very rarely give you advice. Um, you don't go to a therapist for advice. You want your therapist to help you think about your own mind so that you can work out what it is that you want and what's important to you. And that's harder than it sounds because sometimes people will come and say, I don't know what I want. Why can't you just tell me, they say <laughs> to the therapist. And the therapist says, you know, seriously. You know, if I tell you, aren't I going to be just like all these other people in your life? <laughs> hmm. Tell you what to do, you get cross with. So, so that's one thing. But then, when it comes to forensic, to people who've committed offences, then often the question that I have to explore most of all is, with an offender, is do you want to change? Do you do you want to give up? the kind of ideas and feelings and thoughts that led you to commit a terrible offence. Are you interested in letting that go and doing something different or, or not? And, and that a lot of the work that I do, and it can take a few years sometimes just to get people to work out whether they do want to change for the better. But I'm not going to change them for the better. It won't, won't work if I do it. <laughs> they, they've got to want to They've got to be interested in it for themselves. They've got to believe um, that actually a life without violence is worth it.
2: I think that's a good note um, to end this segment on. We're and uh, if you, the listeners, found our conversation interesting, there, there, I feel there's uh, a lot of depth we could go on. We actually had to choose on what to talk about with the time we have. You can all, you can read uh, Dr. Gwen Ad Adsett's book. Uh, it's called The Devil You Know: Stories of Human Cruelty and Compassion. She also has a co-author, Eileen Home. You can also and. Mr. Bezos will be happy to deliver it to your house, uh, so it's on Amazon? <laughs> he,
3: he will, and not only will Mr. Bezos be happy to do that, but he will shortly be able to deliver it to you in paperback form. Um, and um, and I think that kind Mr. Waterston uh, may also be happy to sell it to you in paperback form. So, um, um, so that's maybe more attractive now than it, when it was just in hardback.
2: Yeah, it's also, on, it's also an audio book on Audible as, as well. Is it um, in, in, have you narrated that?
3: I have indeed. So oh, wow, if you want cool. to hear, you can actually hear me reading the whole book out loud. Mm. Uh, you may find it, uh, if you can't sleep at night, perhaps it'd be a useful thing <laughs> to buy, to put you to sleep at night.
2: So you can give us feedback for the for the show as well. We are on Instagram as well as Twitter. So it's uh, nirvana.principle, that's N I R B A N A. dot P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E. I'm going to leave you with a song by Macy Cray. It's called Relating to a Psychopath.